0: This early spring weather might be changing up some plans for calf backgrounders. We'll get some perspective on that. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association has its priorities set for 2024. We'll take a look at the list. And the Renewable Fuels Association wrapped up the National Ethanol Conference yesterday. We'll get details, priorities, and highlights.
1: Live from International Davis Day, via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Agritalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Troy Bredenkamp from the Renewable Fuels Association. Then it's Ethan Lane from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And directly following the news, Greg Henderson
0: from Drovers. I'm the
1: handsome newsman, Davis Michelson.
0: Now, here's the host of Agritalk, Chip Flory. You're going to have to provide some sort of certification or something that... Mm -hmm. Today mm-hmm. is actually International Davis Day.
1: Um, yeah, um, I tried to get it on the agenda over at COP28. Yeah. They just they right. wouldn't have it. Um, I didn't meet the ESG standards. Apparently, well, I I emit too many pollutants.
0: I, <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> My wife no, would I, concur. <laughs> I, I think you could explain it. It wouldn't take long. Um, but, but I'm I'm I'm. Uh, I am glad to hear that you're trying. It's a I'm grassroots effort,
1: you know. Yes. You got to start somewhere. You
0: got to start with a with, with a crowd of 1. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And you've got her going. Stackler's oh. on board. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> Good. Good for you guys. You got something to do. Yeah. All right. Welcome to Angry Talk. I am Chip. That is Davis. Hey, everybody. Uh welcome. Glad that you are here. We've got we we're going to spend a little bit of time first uh First, uh, talking about what's going on in the cattle industry, we've got Greg Henderson is coming up. He's got some perspective on what's happening in the feeder cattle market ahead of the cattle on feed report that is coming our way on Friday, tomorrow afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thinks it's going to be, a, and I think he's right, uh, but he thinks it's going to be a very, very important cattle on feed report for mm-hmm. this market, so... We'll get some details on that from Henderson, and then we've got a couple of conferences that we're going to wrap up and and, and, and get some reports from. One just wrapped up yesterday, the, uh, uh, the Renewable Fuels Association ethanol, National Ethanol Conference. We'll talk with Troy about that, and then Ethan is going to come in uh, with the priorities for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and... We've got a couple of other issues that I know that we want to get to in that conversation with Ethan. All right, man, let's get to the news. What do you got? Well, we'll start with
1: the weather, uh, which starts with the word pleasant. Pleasantly mild across most of the country through the end of the week. Showers and thunderstorms from the Gulf Coast to the Ohio Valley on
0: Thursday. Here in the the middle of the country last night, I turned the news on so that I could catch the local weather forecast. I looked at Mm -hmm. my wife. I said... I turned the news on to catch the weather. I watched the whole thing, and it turns out there isn't any. Yeah,
1: no, no weather to report at all. Right, at all. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, Spring Watch down here in the City of Fountains, we've got buds on the lilacs now. It's it's just one thing after the next.
0: And the Uh, rhubarb's coming.
1: The rhubarb's up. I got lilacs coming. I mean, it's all coming up good. Private exporters reported sales of 126,000 metric tons of sorghum for delivery to China during the 23-24 marketing year. I'd like to see that sale?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just China being active in the U.S. market is is uh, is a positive thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: as you mentioned, Renewable,
1: Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper told um, the group's annual. National Ethanol Conference in San Diego this week, 2024, will be, quote, one of the most pivotal years ever for the industry. Cooper says policy decisions in the next three to six months on sustainable aviation fuel tax credits, year-round E15 and light-duty vehicle tailpipe standards will shape ethanol's future for possibly decades to come. Ch- uh, Chip, more on this from Troy Bredencamp from RFA. We've yep. got him coming up just next here. According to USDA's Economic Research Service, rural employment recovered to pre-pandemic levels in the third quarter of 2023, more than one year after urban employment did. Rural employment rates in 23 were at their lowest point since before 1990. Unemployment during the pandemic reached a high of 13.3% in urban areas and 11.4% in rural areas, compared to pre-pandemic rates of 38 and 4.2% respectively. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack Wednesday announced more than $772 million in investment for rural infrastructure projects. USDA says the new projects will benefit more than 1 million people living in remote areas of the country by providing reliable high-speed Internet access, clean, safe water, and a range of support for rural communities. The American Soybean Association conducted a survey to assess the potential impacts of the Environmental Protection Agency's proposed herbicide strategy on soy farmers. The survey results indicate significant concerns among soybean producers regarding their ability to comply with the proposed regulations and the potential financial and operational burdens they may face.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things about uh, what's happening right now in the, the the rules and regulation business, that side of farming, mm-hmm. is um, th- there's a high level of concern with some of the issues that are coming out of EPA, as is typically the case. Well, Chip, a visit
1: to Taiwan by lawmakers spearheaded by House China Chair Representative Mike Gallagher may further strain relations between the island and China. And finally, Chip, Jen Stoltenberg, NATO's Secretary General, has affirmed Ukraine's right to strike Russian military targets outside Ukraine under international law, marking a significant shift in rhetoric. Stoltenberg emphasized Ukraine's right to self-defense in the face of Russian aggression, including the ability to target legitimate Russian military sites beyond its borders, Chip.
0: All right. Hey, save that panda story for the end of the show. We Will right do. Need I saved it. <laughs> okay. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Thank you, Davis. Let's bring in Greg Henderson, editorial director at Drovers. How you doing, buddy? Good
2: morning, Chip. I'm great.
0: All right. Talk to me about this grass fever.
2: Yes, it's, uh, it's already a pandemic, right? So yeah. it's six to eight weeks early. And uh, these guys that are backgrounders, stocker operators, trying to buy grass cattle, and they're they're looking at these prices, just shaking their heads. They don't know whether to sit on their hands or, you know, if they bid on these cattle, they're looking at needing record prices to break even or make any money. Um, Spring turnout, six to eight weeks away. We've seen new all-time highs posted for 500-pound feeder cattle. Oklahoma City, that was $323. That makes that steer worth $615, Chip. Think about that semi-load of those being worth (laughs) $161,000. So, looks like we're going past that this week. Four weights selling in Joplin at $337. That makes those four weights $1,400, ahead. Story up on our site from the American Hereford Association about Hereford-influenced cattle in Mitchell, South Dakota last week. 73 red baldy steers win 700 pounds brought 265. So, if your feed yard man, that's that's looking like those driving those uh uh cost um you know break even high even higher than they are now. Feed yards we know cheaper losing a little money anyway. So, buying those replacement cattle is get going to get to be harder. Uh, the good news, I I guess, is the futures are up this morning, they've they've been rallying last couple weeks. So Yep, We get another on-feed report tomorrow. We'll see. We're anticipating it being bullish.
0: It's going to be a critical one, isn't it?
2: It will. Uh, Those placements in January may have been down as much as 12%, according to trade estimates. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Great. Good stuff. Always something to think about when we have a conversation with Henderson there. Get more on this. Thanks, Chip. You bet. www.drovers.com is where to go. For more Coming up next, let's get a report from the National Ethanol Conference. Troy Bredenkamp, RFA, up next.
3: To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction.
1: the best talkers in ag including you join the conversation on Agritalk. call us at
0: 855-4-TALK-AG welcome back to agri i'm your host chip flora glad that you are with us the renewable fuels association national ethanol conference Earlier this week in San Diego, California, just wrapped up yesterday. Joining us now with a summary of what took place, Troy Bredenkamp, Senior VP, Government and Public Affairs at the RFA. Troy, it's great to talk with you. Uh, I assume you're still out in California. I am, Chip. Uh, We are getting out of town this
6: morning. It's a beautiful day, but we had a great conference here in San Diego.
0: Yeah, man, it sounds like Cooper was leading a... uh, Uh, a pep rally at the end of this one well he really was i mean it's an exciting
6: time chip i mean you and i have talked before uh he highlighted the fact that this is a pivotal year for ethanol um our theme for this national ethanol conference was powered by partnerships and we kind of just went right down the list of
0: things if they all
6: break our way it's going to be a really good year for biofuels and in particular ethanol
0: right lots of things that we are watching there's no question about it I was trying to pick a place where I wanted to start with you on this but I think I'm going to leave it up to you troy what was what was the conversation or the event at NEC and it doesn't need to be anything from the main stage what was the thing at NEC that left the greatest impression on you
6: well I I think what I'm going to keep coming back to Chip is really our, our theme, and, and that was this whole idea of partnerships and how it's going to be partnerships that really get anything done down the road. I mean, there was the usual issues of E-15, and and oh, by the way, Chip, I could probably break a little news on that if you want later. Um, there was the sustainable aviation fuel uh discussions and 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 things like that, but that's different partnerships than than we've ever had before. But then there was other new uses like uh, green chemicals, green methanol. I talked to people from the Maersk, uh shipping company yeah. because they're looking for green methanol and green methanol needs clean CO2 and it needs green hydrogen. And that's two things that ethanol plants can provide. So there's just all these opportunities that are coming down the pipe. And it's just an exciting time. There's challenges, obviously, in front of us from a Political perspective, from a uh, regulatory perspective, but the opportunities are there, and we hope to really uh, take advantage of those in 2024.
0: Yeah, cool. I don't want to get too deep into this one, but the demand for that green methanol uh, that you were talking about with Maris—that seems huge. The the maritime
6: possibilities. Well, if 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 we're talking about replacing all current bunker fuel. With a green methanol that can be derived from the hydrogen, the, the six hydrogen uh, parts within the ethanol uh, molecule, and the clean CO2 biogenic CO2 stream coming out of 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 an ethanol plant, yes, yeah. that the sky's the limit w- when it comes to that. You know, so yeah. there you're, and and not only that, Chip, but when you take that biogenic CO2 and you beneficially reuse it. That's lowering your CI, your, your carbon yeah. intensity for the other uses for that ethanol.
0: So it's a win-win,
6: and so very exciting to have those kinds of conversations down here in San Diego.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, th- that ethanol would would probably qualify for uh, sustainable aviation fuel, wouldn't it? It would certainly qualify for an advanced biofuel. Okay, and
6: and, and so absolutely. Uh, There's all yes. If we were to take that carbon intensity out, we are well below the threshold to then be used as a uh, feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel. So so one benefits
0: the other. So
6: there was all kinds of good conversations like that down here.
0: Yep. Partnerships, partnerships, partnerships. I can't believe I've let myself go this long. You mentioned that there's news on E15 and I'm just coming back to it right now. What is it?
6: Well, a um, couple, couple little birdies in D.C. are telling us that the uh, White House will be releasing the, the, the long-awaited uh, announcement on the eight states that have uh, petitioned to opt out of the RVP waiver for okay. E15. We are told that's coming yet today. Um, it'll be, uh, I think, released by the White House at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. Okay. Um, and I and we're anticipating, and again, this is just us in, in what we're hearing, but we're anticipating it will be approved, and it should have been approved long ago, Chip. This was a 90-day yeah. review process. Should not have taken two and a half years, but, you know, it's the federal government, so sometimes things take a little longer. Yeah, It will be approved, but we're hearing it might be delayed until 2025, and so... Right. That, again, puts us in this, you know, state of flux in terms of what do we do with the 2024 summer driving season. So yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit of good news. It's a little bit of bad news if that's what indeed comes out here in a in another couple hours. Um, and then we'll have to figure out how, how we manage through uh, 2024 summer. But uh,
0: yeah. that seems okay. to be coming our way today. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, y- y- you spent time focused on trade issues at the conference. I thought that was really important. What was the message from USTR chief ag negotiator Doug McCalop to the to the ethanol industry? You know, Ambassador McAllop did a great job. He wasn't on
6: stage long, but he covered a lot of ground and and he and he, he talked a lot about Europe and and what it's going to take for us to make some inroads there. He talked about smaller markets that we wouldn't necessarily think about, uh, some even in Africa. That that are that are opportunities. Um, he talked a, quite a bit on on Brazil and how he and the administration is, is kind of taking them to task with their uh, with the tariff situation down there and and explaining how that's that's not an even playing field and, and we're not going to allow for that. Um, and then he finished up his comments on China and he explained while while China um, is a Huge opportunity, especially for biofuels. They are having their own set of uh, economics uh, issues right now, and so it, it's just a very dynamic time from the international yeah. market. You know, the, yeah. the one thing that I, I like about the National Ethanol Conference is we really leave no stone unturned. So we we cover that new stuff, we cover the current events, but we also cover the international market because if, if there's if, if there's uh, one to two to maybe three billion gallons that could be exported. That's, that's nothing but good news for for the ethanol sector and for the U S corn farmer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Of course, USDA secretary Tom Vilsack was there. He's, he's usually very upbeat and optimistic when it comes to the future of biofuels. Was that the case? I think it was. Yeah, he he
6: delivered a very good message. Um, he explained the importance of of the role that biofuel plays within the uh, rural economy and how it's it's been probably one of the greatest success stories maybe since rural electrification. If you were to take a look at it from top to bottom, uh, he certainly is a strong supporter of the industry. He also sees a bright future for us in these hard to electrify spaces like sustainable aviation fuel, uh, bunker fuel for shipping, things like this that people really haven't weren't thinking about two to three years ago, but now certainly need to be thinking about now. Uh, he did somewhat break the news on on where the EPA was leaning on this uh, eight state opt out. Uh, he said we will have uh, that done and, and E15 will be available in 2025. So that's where we're picking up some of that uh, news and and then obviously he mentioned you know there's going to be a need for waivers to get through this summer. So yeah. all those things I think lead to the conclusion we're at, and that is we're going to get this announcement today. But the administration understands there's going to be a need to make sure that that lowest priced fuel option at the pump is not uh, cut off during the summer driving season, and I'm pretty sure they wouldn't want that to happen just months before a general election. So we're hopeful and we will work on them to make sure that they deliver on that promise.
0: Yeah. 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 Secretary Vilsack has focused very much on SAF and the bunker fuel. Is it because he leans to EVs for the consumer fleet?
6: Yeah, he really does not I mean, he's pretty nonchalant when it comes to uh, EVs. He even mentioned, he goes, you know, I mean, they're, they're nice for some uh you know not for me but you know it, it's going to be part of the future there are going to be more electric vehicles on the road next year than there were this year i mean there's that's just the fact of the of the situation but even having said that if if you move the e10 standard where we're at today in the U.S. to e15 that's a 50 percent increase in the amount of renewable fuel being used Um, so, so that's a, that's actually probably a large increase in overall ethanol usage. So, so he's pretty high on, on where we're at and then where we could go. He's very supportive. We did give him our industry award because he's done such a great job being a champion for us over the years.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Troy, thank you so much for making time for us. Sounds like a great conference and, uh, thanks for all the work you do. Thank you, Chip. Appreciate it. You bet. Troy Brettenkamp, Senior VP, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. We've got Ethan Lane from NCBA up next.
5: Time for Markets Now with the experts from Pro Farmer.
0: Joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian grady Beach. When I was looking at the markets before the show, I was trying to be impressed. I'm not as impressed here at the bottom of the hour. As I was, the corn and soybeans kind of slipping, slipping away.
7: Yeah. um, So, you know, very similar story to what we've had just day after day after day here in the corn market. Uh, You know, it tries to to generate a little bit of corrected buyer interest, just not you know, a traction there. We see fresh sellers and, and come into the market and, and new contract lows. So about three to four cents lower here at mid morning, but uh, you know, just more of the same. And we're approaching that uh, $4 level in the, uh, the March contract. Uh, soybeans, uh, they're five to six cents lower. Or so soy meal markets, uh, $3 plus lower. And so uh, both of those are, are trading along with corn and, and uh, just kind of all feeding on each other.
0: Yeah. Some mixed trade in the in the soy complex. You got meal working with soybeans and under pressure. And soybean oil is trading to the upside. I would guess that might have something to do with the gains that we've got in crude oil. Go ahead. Take us over to livestock trade.
7: Well, much better uh, price action there. And and actually, we're seeing. uh, uh, you know, kind of moderate gains in uh, most of the live cattle contracts. They've, they've just here backed off their uh, recent highs, but uh, still trading solidly to the upside. Feeder cattle, uh, strong gains in most of those contracts, and, and uh, as has been the case, uh, that market continues to lead the cattle complex higher. And then the hog market as well, posting strong gains, especially in the front end of the market. So the, the cash index continues to rise seasonally here, and uh, traders are maintaining premiums in the, uh, the nearby contracts
0: all right good stuff brian thank you that is pro farmer editor brian grady on markets now
3: to produce higher yields and greater value at harvest timing is everything full scale from helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use.
1: Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The truth is hard to come by these days, unless
0: you listen to Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip. Glad you're with us. Are you boogie uh, it, it, Can you feel it? Yeah, I can feel it. That was a good one. That yeah, was a good one. Who was that? Uh, that
1: sucked. Uh... KC in the Sunshine Band.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. All right, welcome back. Glad you are here. Ethan Lane is the VP of Governmental Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He joins us right now. Not exactly fresh off CattleCon, but it's the first chance that I've had to sit down and have a conversation with Ethan about the priorities that were discussed down in uh, in Orlando at the annual convention. So, Ethan, thank you so much for making some time for us.
8: Great to be with you.
0: All right. Um, Going into CattleCon, at the end of last month, the electronic ID tags were a hot topic uh, of discussion. Where did that conversation end up on EIDs?
8: You know, it it ended up about where it started. And, And by that, I mean you know, uh, uh, there was a lot of conversation outside of NCBA, folks that aren't members, groups that aren't affiliated. uh, The Livestock Marketing Association and some of its members just had an absolute preschool meltdown over this traceability policy. And it was rooted in uh, one part misunderstanding of how our policy process works. You know, we have 44 state affiliates. Some of them have mandatory trace policy. Some of them don't um and and the way our policy process works people submit policy proposals all of the states talk to their boards of directors they look at their policy books they come to to the meeting and then they debate it and we kind of figure out from there where we're where we're going to go uh i think those of us that understand that dynamic could have told you when that policy was proposed that uh there probably wouldn't have been the support in the room to go as far as some of those states would like to go uh in 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 endorsing or or you know falling in line behind a more more strident approach to to traceability. Um, we ended up with policy that looked very similar to what we came in with, which is a preference for voluntary a support for the idea of electronic ID being an important development and something that the supply chain should be looking to engage in. but uh, a continued focus on that being an industry driven and voluntary effort rather than uh, one directed by the federal government and by USDA. But the policy also recognizes that there's a rulemaking underway. Uh, We don't get a choice about whether or not the USDA rule is going to move forward. We have to figure out how we're going to engage with it. So our priorities continue to be making sure our producers aren't paying the cost for those tags, uh, making sure that that data is secure and and not able to be uh, taken advantage of by uh, animal rights groups or, or whoever else. Uh, that that solution moves at the speed of commerce and isn't a hindrance to folks uh, as they as they move through the supply chain, um, and and that you know those resources are available for our producers. So that's where we're spending our time and our focus. Okay. We're trying to get some money in the appropriations process to pay for tags. We're continuing to work with USDA to ensure that their priority is tags for producers, uh, and and that that is where this conversation starts, so that it's not our producers bearing the cost. Uh, of this of this transition as uh, as we as we watch it over the next few months.
0: What's the timeline on that rulemaking?
8: You know, it's a great question. I mean, the, the, the rule has been sent to the White House to OMB uh, for in final form. Uh, so it goes through a review process uh, that, that could take months. Um, you know, we expect that review to be done sometime in the next month or so, um, you know, and then the way it's written, it, there's a six-month window before it actually goes live. So at some point, if they, if they clear that review, they put it out on the street in final form and publish a final rule, it'll be six months before that would actually uh, take effect. And, that, and those, those folks that are moving uh, intact cattle over 18 months interstate, would then need to have an ID in okay. in in ear that is both visually and electronically readable. And that's something I think okay. people didn't understand about this rule. Um, you know, what they're saying is you don't have to have you don't have to have the equipment to read an electronic ID tag. You just have to use a tag that's both visually readable and electronically readable um, moving forward in those in those specific uh, classes of cattle. Um, so theoretically, if they put a rule out in the next sixty days, then you'd be talking about a fall implementation uh, of that rule. But you know, everything is is slower than it than it ought to be, yeah. or or than, you know. So uh, that's kind of a guideline. You could we could be having this conversation in July and still not have a rule out. But we're looking at the next month or two, from what we understand, is the first available opportunity for that to go live.
0: Okay, okay. What were some of the other priorities uh, that that were we're, we're focused on at uh, CattleCon. Uh, the farm bill has to be, and and animal health has got to be near the top of the list, right?
8: Oh, oh no question about it. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and look, we're all looking at farm bill timing. I mean, GT and his team and the House Ag Committee are trying to do everything they can to get a bill moved in. Uh, the, the, the most difficult environment I can think of to, to try to advance a farm bill. Um, looking for that window before, you know, you kind of lose the room in June to the campaign schedule. Um, they were hoping for March to get a floor uh, vote on the farm bill in the house and uh, now they're going to be talking funding and appropriations instead. That leaves kind of April and May to try to find a couple weeks to work on this bill on the House floor. Um, you know, I, I'm right where I've always been, which despite the best efforts of the folks in the ag community, I wouldn't be shocked if we're talking about a farm bill this time next year still. I, yeah. I think, uh, and that's not the fault of anybody in the ag community on Capitol Hill. That's the fact that this is a this is a pretty dysfunctional body uh, in, in the Capitol at the moment, and, and that's not the environment to move a trillion and a half dollar farm bill.
0: Right, right. Speaking of preventing some of those foreign animal diseases, talk foot and mouth disease and this, the, the the ongoing efforts to open up the U.S. to imports of, pe- of beef from Paraguay. What's the status there? So
8: they're they're live. I mean, that USDA and, and, and USTR, the White House have allowed that to happen. Paraguayan beef is now allowed to be shipped into the United States, despite the fact that the the on-site, boots-on-the-ground inspections uh, of their systems in in Paraguay are 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 10 or more years old at this point, from both APHIS and FSIS. And, you know, Vilsack answered this question again in his testimony uh, in the House Ag Committee uh, when he was pressed by members. And he said, well, you know, we did some analysis of the analysis and we feel like we're in good shape, even though no one's been on the ground to eyeball it in a decade. I mean, that just seems insane to us. And and it's something we're going to continue to push back on. We we saw a resolution of disapproval on a bipartisan basis announced in the House yesterday. We are incredibly grateful to those to those members, uh, Caraveo and Ronnie Jackson and uh, uh, I think 17 others. Uh, that signed on to that resolution of disapproval. Uh, there's a there's a bill in the Senate uh, that does the same thing. Um, you know, the Hill is speaking very clearly on this. And it's I, I joke, it's one of the few issues where you're ever going to see our calf and us and, and, you know, all these different groups on the same page saying, hey, I don't care who yeah. it is. If they raise cattle in the U.S., they think this is a bad idea.
0: Right. OK. You know, this is about a strange year in D.C. as it gets, isn't it?
8: Without I, question. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, it, it's just insane.
0: What are the risks to the quote-unquote average guy out there that's in the cattle business in a year like this?
8: Well, you know, I mean, look, NCBA, I, I, for better or worse, our members across the country have always had a position that less government is better, right? Whenever the federal government gets involved in your business, they screw it up. So – from that perspective, uh, you know, a Congress that's totally dysfunctional isn't the worst thing in the world, right? Less is more. But you have a, a, a White House and an administration that's very emboldened right now to do whatever they feel like doing. So there's always a, di- a danger there if we don't have effective checks and balances, right? That's the way the mm-hmm. system is supposed to work. So you need a legislative branch that can stand up and and pass resolutions. Uh, uh, you know, exercise the power of the purse strings, do those things they are chartered by the constitution to do. If that's not working, it gets out of balance. So right now, the biggest threat you have out there is, you know, you have an executive branch that can do pretty much whatever they want, knowing the Hill is going to have a hard time getting their act together uh, to to respond to it, uh, just because of the infighting and the and the tight margins and the, and the problems up there right now. Um, despite the fact that there are a lot of good people trying to get something done, but you know, it's a it's an incredibly tough environment to do that. So, um, you know, on one hand, I, I, you know, you, you never are, are too upset when when they can't pass any new laws and, and new and create new problems in Washington. But you do need them to be functional.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we certainly need it to be functional. Uh, EPA and NCBA, what's what, what are some of the things that you are watching there?
8: You know, I, I think uh, as we're watching, I think hopefully the closing, the closing, uh, you know, I, I arguments on the whole Wotus uh, saga yeah. of the last decade plus. You know, we've got uh, 85% of I think what we'd like to see out of a final rule there. Uh, we're in, still in court working on on some of these unanswered issues with with you know water bodies that go over state lines. But the EPA's new new interest in in discharge and effluent coming out of small packing facilities in particular um you know and that's that's not specifically our end of the world but it's an area we spent a lot of time on in the last couple years with usda trying to build up more local Mm -hmm. and regional processing capacity Mm -hmm. so it's frustrating to see you know the right hand and the left hand and the federal government don't seem to to know what each other is doing if usda is giving out a billion dollars and epa is going to create some some problems where those same small plants have to spend that billion dollars to comply you know, yeah. with a new requirement from EPA, then they're not going to get the expansion we all need um, yeah. for those, you know, those new and diversified hooks. Um, so it's 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 incredibly frustrating to see this. Uh, I don't know what it takes to get them to have a cross department meeting and figure this out, but uh, we're keeping a, a close eye on that. We're we're working with stakeholders in that community uh, to make sure that that we're we're getting arguments in front of EPA on, on those issues, and and the packing community is doing that too. I mean, that's their baby to kind of work on, but we're trying to be supportive where we can there because we need those small producer own facilities and small processors to to, to be growing, not dealing with the new regulatory burden from EPA.
0: Ethan, I I don't know a lot of them. Those I do know seem to be building a relationship with a customer base. It seems to be working the way that that I think the industry would like to see it work. It would be really something to see some EPA burdens come down and, and bring an end to it.
8: It would. It would would just be the worst possible outcome of this, Um, but we're going to do everything we can to prevent that.
0: Okay. All right. Good stuff, Ethan. Great conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it, man.
8: Thanks, Chip. Good talking to you. You bet.
0: All right. Ethan Lane, VP, Governmental Affairs, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right. It is National FFA Week. Did you know that? Happy FFA Week. Uh, We're going to talk with Andrew McRae about that next.
3: To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use.
4: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
7: Do you
1: suffer from talking on the radiophobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at
0: hashtag Agritalk.
7: Well, I wish I had some shoes.
0: All right. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm your host, Chip. Great conversations today. Uh, some issues that we need to keep an eye on, unsettled issues that I think uh, uh, are going to have a, 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 a get a lot of attention. A lot of attention from the biofuels industry and from the uh, cattle industry going forward. These EIDs are—it's—it's it's, it's not a simple answer, and mm-hmm. uh, thinking that there is a simple answer to it that's going to make everybody happy out there is—is is probably a little off base.
2: Mm-hmm. All right,
0: let's talk to a cattleman right now. He's also my favorite, like FFAer of all time, Andrew McCrae american countryside how are you buddy
9: good how are you
0: doing real fine real fine happy national ffa week feel good Yeah. oh yeah yes it's uh that time of year the week of washington's birthday every year Yeah. yep yep so what do you hope is accomplished by national ffa week andrew
9: Well, I do think it's one of those times in which you you, not only, you know, now that I'm older and out of FFA, you reflect on what FFA has done for you, but I do think, and I see it in my kids now, I mean, I have two high schoolers, both in FFA, it's that time in which you are out in the community, you're trying to do things to help your community, and I think you begin to think about, okay, what's my future, how's FFA prepare me for that, so um, you know, in my way, my way of thinking, I guess that's what it means for me, and uh, hopefully helps uh, what it does.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing about FFA is it, it's it's got the inroads into rural America through through the school rural school system. We know that, but it's never been more popular than it is today in urban areas. Is that right?
9: Oh, sure. You know, FFA membership is now at a all-time high.
0: When I was in FFA, it had bottomed
9: out. You know, uh, you think back to the farm crisis and so forth, and FFA certainly still helps kids that are wanting to go into production agriculture, and and that's great. It's important to me, Uh, but its ability to reach out and teach, you know, the science of agriculture, the breadth of agriculture, to do that for students really in all locations, and even more than that, the leadership and communication to me, that makes me feel good to see a program that I love, be able to touch so many students. You know, some of the biggest chapters, New York, Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, places like that, that is really neat to see.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was not in FFA, didn't have the opportunity or immediate opportunity, uh, but I was very active in 4-H. Uh, some of the things that I took away from 4-H, you know, I point to it all the time that communication skills is right at the top of the list of things that 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 I took away from 4H and the well what what's on your list Andrew when when you look back and you see how your career has grown and developed what what items that you've kind of checked off along the way can you look back and say Yeah, you know what? FFA helped me get that.
9: Well, I always tell people I got an FFA because I wanted to be a better farmer, and it certainly helped me do that. But what I didn't understand at the time is is how it would help me so much with communications and leadership. And I see it with my own kids now. You know, my daughter's a freshman, and like so many freshmen in FFA, she had to say the creed, and it really made me feel good to see her saying the creed and doing some things that in some ways she's never had to do or done very little is get up in front of a group and, and speak. And, you know, it, FFA pushes you in some places you need to be pushed, and that's, that's good. And so many advisors, wow, you know, I think that my advisor and my kids' advisors now, how important they are in a kid's life and teachers in general. But, boy, that FFA advisor, they make such a difference.
0: Oh, they, they, they certainly do. How is the organization doing now? Uh, as far as support in, in the system? Well, I think that it's doing very well. And sometimes,
9: you know, I, I am just a, a dad of FFA members now, so I don't necessarily work for FFA, but I'm certainly yeah. around it all the time and speaking to different groups. I, I guess one of the good things is it has been so successful, it is hard to find the instructors to be the FFA advisors to have enough of them. I mean, there's plenty of people that want to, but because those programs have expanded, in fact, I just had this conversation last night. I was out speaking in Grand Island, Nebraska, and the folks at my table were saying, boy, we really need another advisor. We need to expand. And, you know, and I hear that all the time. And so it's just getting enough young folks to want wow. to go into teaching. And there are several, but the programs continue to expand. You just need more all the
4: time.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the future for FFA is certainly bright. There's no question about that. How are things around home in, uh, Northwest Missouri start? Yeah. I, I know that it's only Feb 22nd, but tell me, are things starting to green up? <laughs> well, a little
9: bit, you know, I joked with somebody, it used to be a big deal if somebody tried to plant corn in March, I think they may try to do it in February this year, the way <laughs> things are going, man, it has been warm. Although we had some big snows in January, uh, at least for us, but, uh, you know, in one week of cold weather, but otherwise it's been a pretty warm winter. And uh, yeah, it feels like a lot of days like spring.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like grass season's going to be here early? Oh, it does. It does.
9: Now, sometimes we think that and then we get a surprise, but still the forecasts are for it to remain warm. So yeah, I had this conversation this morning with somebody about, Hey, are things greening up? When's new grass going to come? But you know, even with warm temperatures, so much of it is with day length and things. Uh, yep. Mother Nature yeah, kind of has an idea of when the calendar is too. So we'll that's see what right.
0: Happens. That's exactly right, Andrew. Thanks, thanks for the great conversation, buddy. Appreciate you, and happy uh, yep. National FFA Week. Yep. Thank you. All right, uh, Andrew McCrae, American Countryside. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Really appreciate it. Uh, Come back this afternoon. We're going to have a conversation with Kirk Kimmel from agmarket.net. Tomorrow morning, of course, we've got the free-for-all coming. Uh, There's been some conversation on social media about uh, about the conversation that we had with Bob Hemisath, new president of Farmers for Free Trade. Jim Wiesmeyer is wound up on trade issues this week. Uh, tomorrow morning's free-for-all. We will address some of the issues that have been discussed out on social media.
3: But come back this afternoon. Kirk Kimmel right here, Agri-Talk.